0: What is going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. And now that we are officially three days away from the kickoff of the much maligned college football playoff, the much criticized college football playoff, which has been criticized for obviously a variety of different reasons, I thought, what better way to spend today's show than by breaking down uh, each of the four teams that did, in fact, make it to the semifinals of the college football playoff, and will be playing in the, let's see, the Rose Bowl and in the Sugar Bowl, should be two Very, very exciting matchups. The Rose Bowl, of course, will be between number one Michigan and fourth-ranked Alabama. And the Sugar Bowl will be played between the second-ranked Washington Huskies and the third-ranked Texas Longhorns, two very exciting football games, which I will... Be, be, which I will be breaking down and predicting a little bit later on in today's show. But before I do that, I sort of want to run through it, give a brief rundown of the different resumes of each of these four teams and just talk a little bit about how they got to where they are, basically. And I'm going to start off with Michigan the number 1 Michigan Wolverines 13 and 0 of course finishing yet another perfect season capping off another perfect season with of course the win over Iowa and of course make of that what you will because it w- on the on one hand it, it it was Iowa but on the other hand it was still the big 10 championship game and of course we all have to give credit to Michigan for winning their conference championship game and of course another another big headline that is or by far the biggest headline that's been surrounding Michigan this whole season really even going back to The preseason is all of the scandals that have been circulating the Wolverines football program most recently with the sign-stealing accusations and that, of course, led to the sidelining of Jim Harbaugh for the final three games of the regular season. Of course, he did Come back to coach the Big Ten Championship game, but at the in the grand scheme of things, I guess the absence of Jim Harbaugh didn't really mean all that much because Michigan was still able to find a way to rally themselves and earn a victory in all three of those final three. Uh, regular season football games, so that's pretty much a brief rundown of the off field stuff as it relates to the Wolverines on the field uh, they are a obviously a very competitive and good football team, hence the reason why they are number one in the country obviously but starting from their Makeup of the team from an on-field perspective, it obviously starts with the quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. Phenomenal season, obviously. He's one of the, this is one of the names that people sort of put at the top of, not necessarily in the same category with a Drake May or a Caleb Williams in terms of the quarterback hierarchy in the 2024 NFL draft, but certainly J.J. McCarthy, I think, has done enough to belong in the conversation of guys that you could see go in the first round, not necessarily in the top 10, but I would not rule out J.J. McCarthy being drafted in the first round, that's a conversation to be had a much at a much different time, and I'll certainly have those conversations in the weeks and months ahead as we get closer to draft time, which, of course, is not until April, and there's certainly a lot of different variables, the combine and other things, that go into that. And I will, of course, look forward to bringing all of that information to you at the more appropriate time. But looking at J.J. McCarthy's numbers this season, 213 of 287 through the air for over 2,600 yards, 19 touchdowns, four picks, which is You know, pretty good, to say the least. Hats off to J.J. McCarthy. But by far, by far, the dominance of the Michigan Wolverines has come on on the ground with guys like Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. And this this has been a trend, even going back to when When the Wolverine sort of had the big headed monster of Hassan Haskins, I don't know why his his name was slipping my mem- my memory for a little bit. I guess I suppose that's because of what little impact Hassan Haskins has made since he's been with the Tennessee Titans. For various reasons, that's a conversation for another time as well, but point I'm trying to get at here is that the running attack is what Michigan has been best well known for, whether it be back in the day of, well, I say back in the day, I guess it's only been two or three years with Hassan Haskins. And Blake Corum. Now, you fast forward the clock to now. You have Blake Corum spearheading the the rushing attack with Donovan Edwards, and they have been on a tear this season. Starting with Corum, he finished the season with 218 carries for over a thousand yards, 24 touchdowns. Pretty. Pretty phenomenal numbers for Blake Corum. Uh, Donovan Edwards hasn't been too bad himself. He's, of course, in more of a complementary role, if you will. He finished with 109 carries for just 382 yards, three touchdowns. So, very, very limited action when you compare that to a... Blake Corum, but still pretty, I mean, even when you turn on the tape, you can see the toughness that Donovan Edwards plays the game with, and you add the talent of these two backs to a very dominant Michigan offensive line, that's just a definite recipe for success. And I guess the one honorable mention I can talk about here is Roman Wilson, the very dominant wide receiver for the Wolverines, finished the year with 41 catches for 662 yards, 11 touchdowns, by far the leading receiver on the team, and I'm of course, very much well. while we can all be very much aware that this is but definitely a run-first offense, uh, Roman Wilson is definitely still a name that pops up on the TV screen more than once throughout any Michigan ballgame. And so he's definitely a weapon that when... The running game is not going too well for Michigan at the time, or if they want to just open up some different things offensively, Roman Wilson is definitely a name to look out for. So that's pretty much my take on Michigan. Switching gears to who the Wolverines will be playing in the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, the Crimson Tide of Alabama. Oh my gosh, the Crimson Tide of Alabama, what a team, what a team. And again, so, pl- there's plenty of people that have made arguments for why Alabama should or should not be in the playoff. But I suppose those arguments are pretty much null and void at this point. And I know there's certain people in the greater Tallahassee, Florida area that would take issue with that still. But look, guys, we are where we are with the playoff, okay? And... This is just something that we're all going to have to live with. But switching gears back to Alabama, and as much as it pains me to say this, Alabama may very well be the most dangerous team in the college football playoff this year. They come in to this college football playoff semifinal This Rose Bowl, red hot. I've I've said on this show before, ever since the second half of the Tennessee game, Alabama has just been clicking on all cylinders and have rode a very large amount of momentum into the Rose Bowl. But wasn't always that way, obviously. Alabama was not always the team that finished the regular season 12-1, and 1, or I should say finished the regular season 11-1, and 1, and then knocked off the, at the time, number one-ranked Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC championship game. This is very much a tale of two different teams. But the team that started off the season was kind of, eh, shall we say, not belonging anywhere near the college football playoff conversation. I mean, losing to Texas in Tuscaloosa, who is a Texas team that they may very well be seeing again in the national championship game. And that could be my prediction on the matter could be wink, wink, nudge, nudge. While Texas has sort of been on a roll, ever so- other than the one hiccup against Oklahoma in the Red River Shootout. Uh, other than Texas, sort of running through that hiccup and staying on the same level of trajectory. Alabama has sort of sort of been up and down in a lot of ways. This is a team that had a littering of quarterback issues at the beginning of the season where Jalen Melrose goes into the season as the guy. The, he, of course, has his struggles during the Texas game and is binged in favor of Tyler Buckner, going into the South Florida game, a game that Bama only won by uh, two touchdowns. 17-3, I believe, was the final score of that game. And until even until they got to the Tennessee game, it's just been this right here, a little bit of a roller coaster. But... Ever since going back to Jalen Melrose as the starting quarterback, this Alabama team has been completely different. And Melro in particular has found a way to turn it around. And it's been it's been interesting to see. It's been interesting to see some of the quotes that I've seen over the last few days where Jalen Melrose essentially puts Bill O'Brien, the former Alabama offensive coordinator, uh, puts him on blast for criticizing his level of play. And I cannot remember exactly what the quote was, but Bill O'Brien essentially essentially told Jalen Melro and other tyrant a little bit different terminology that he sucked basically and should not necessarily be playing quarterback and blah 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 and I can't I can't help but laugh at Bill O'Brien because not only is Alabama's offense sort of on a tear been on a tear as of late look at the offense of the New England Patriots, the offense that Bill O'Brien is now in charge of, and they've uh, eh, sort of not been doing too good themselves, and there's obviously plenty of different variables that go into that on plenty of different levels, none of which I have the time to get into today, but Jalen Milrow has certainly a chip on his shoulder from wanting to prove a bunch of people wrong. He's certainly done a very good job of that up until this point, finishing the regular season and, I guess, the championship game in the SEC with over 2,700 passing yards, 23 touchdowns, and... Just six interceptions, and again, I'm going to harp on this because it is a very important point that needs to be made. This is an Alabama team that is, and I guess this is one of the reasons why the committee felt the need to put them into the playoffs. Among the various other reasons for that. But this is a team that has completely flipped the script, flipped the script, I should say, from where they were earlier in the year. And it all started with the second half of the Tennessee game, as much as it pains me to say that. But, and obviously the one honorable mention that I should say about Alabama is the one thing, the major thing, other than the surgeons or resurgence of Jalen Melro has been uh, Nick Saban's defense, obviously, has been keeping Bama afloat, so to speak, until the offense could step up its play a little bit more and pick up its end of the bargain. So, that is my take on the two teams that will be playing in the Rose Bowl, switching gears to what I think was by far the toughest of the two matchups to predict. And, guys, I've been... My stomach has been twisted into knots throughout the course of the last two weeks that I've been thinking about this Washington-Texas game. It's just that tough of a game to pick. These teams are so, so evenly matched, and I'll get to the reasons why I say that in just a little bit, but... I'm going to start out with Washington here, obviously the number two team in the country knocked off Oregon, not once, but twice, once during the regular season, and once again in the Pac-12 championship game, The what we can all assume will be the final Pac-12 championship game in the history of ever, because the Pac Twelve Conference is apparently going the going the way of the Dodo Bird, so to speak. But nevertheless, what the the Washington Huskies were able to pull away with a win in a Pac-12 championship game, which by the way, Oregon got nine points in. For the for those of you betting experts out there or wannabe experts, perhaps you can explain this to me. How did how did Oregon get nine points in that game? How was how was that possible? The first meeting came down to a field goal. And I know Oregon had been on a tear after the Washington game in the regular season and Washington had kind of been, eh, doing this number right here, kind of up and down, so to speak. They, of course, did find a way to finish undefeated in the regular season, but for the Ducks to get... 9 points in that Pac-12 championship championship game, just please explain it to me. Explain it to me because I can, for the life of me I cannot figure out how Oregon was favored by almost double digits in that game. Certainly Washington had the last laugh. And before I get to The obvious guy that everybody looks at from an on-field perspective, talking about the Heisman Trophy runner-up, I believe, in Michael Penix. Former Tennessee Vol commit Michael Penix. As hard as it is for me to say that, that's a conversation... uh, well, I guess it's not even a conversation worth having at another time because I suppose all of the water is under that bridge at this point. But before I get to Michael Penix and his cohorts offensively for Washington, I just want to touch on this, this other guy. What a job that Kalen DeBoer has done. Since he's been at Washington, just a phenomenal job of keeping this Huskies team together. And of course, I thought it's a ve- I think it is a very interesting story. And I was not reminded of this until just recently, honestly. But apparently, De DeBoer, this marriage between DeBoer and Penix goes back to their time at Indiana. Of course, Michael Penix, former quarterback at Indiana for the Indiana Hoosiers. And Kalen DeBoer, once upon a time, was the Hoosiers' offensive coordinator. Fast forward to a few years down the road, Kalen DeBoer is the head coach at Fresno State and Michael Penix transfers to Washington, obviously, and now fast forward a little bit after that, Kalen DeBoer is now the head coach at Washington and is once again reunited with his former quarterback, Michael Penix, who is him in a lot of ways, and I guess I'm going to rattle off his dominant his dominant numbers for this washington huskies team. he finished three seven for four sixty six passing over four thousand yards thirty three touchdowns nine picks in a heisman contending season this is definitely a heisman caliber resume. Obviously, Michael Penix did not win the Heisman Trophy. That, of course, went to Jaden Daniels, who is also him in a lot of ways, but nevertheless, I, I digress on that, but not only is Michael Penix, a dominant player as sort of the linchpin of this Huskies offense. He's also got two very dominant and you could argue three if you put Jalen McMillan in that category. But just from a statistical standpoint, I'm just going to stick with the top two here. He's also got two And I say he being Michael Penix, Washington, the team obviously have two very dominant receivers that are going to be playing on Sundays. One of them in Rome Odunze, if I'm pronouncing, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, is going to be a high first round draft pick. And... Just to touch on Rome Odunze's numbers, uh, 81 catches, over 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, and then behind him, you ob- you also have Jalen Polk, who finished the season with 60 catches for 1,000 yards on the dot and eight touchdowns, so... Both of these guys are very much a threat for Washington. And one of the things that I don't think a lot of people talk about as it relates to the Washington offense is they've really got a very underrated running back in Dylan Johnson, who is a transfer... I cannot remember exactly where he transferred from, but has really been a dominant force in the running game for Washington. He finished the season with 201 carries for over 1,000 yards and 14 touchdowns. So very, very underrated back in Dylan Johnson and someone that is starting to get even more recognition And, you know, throughout the year, I always felt, and plenty of people other than me, felt that Dylan Johnson was one of those guys that, you know, everybody's focusing on Adunze and Polk and McMillan and obviously Michael Penix, right? That left... Dylan, a guy like Dylan Johnson may be a little bit more under the radar than those other three. And Johnson, to his credit, found a lot of people, found ways, I should say, to make a lot of people pay for overlooking him. And so Washington is obviously a very dangerous football team and certainly will be A very tough outing for this next team that I'm going to be talking about. The Texas Longhorns who really, as I mentioned before, ever since beating Alabama in Tuscaloosa and despite the little bit of a hiccup against Oklahoma that I don't think reflects... There, where they are as a team, I think this is just a day where, you know, as they say, any any given day, a team can win or lose. And Texas and Oklahoma, Texas was a much better team than Oklahoma this season, in my opinion. We, of course, saw what happened to Oklahoma down the stretch with losses to Oh, to, excuse me, to Kansas and to Oklahoma State, who Texas just steamrolled in the Big 12 championship game. But coming back to my main point here, as they say, anything can happen. And Texas, I think, was just having one of its off days against Oklahoma in the Red River shootout. Who are some of Texas's leaders, you may ask, in in this 2020 heading into this 2023 Sugar Bowl against Washington? Obviously, you start you have to start at the top with Quinn Ewers, the Phenomenal quarterback who has overcome a little bit of adversity himself and put up a phenomenal year this season. Obviously, he was dealing with the injury, had to be sidelined for a couple of games, and has now bounced back in full force, so to speak. Quinn Ewers finished 248 of 351 Passing three thousand one hundred sixty-one passing yards, twenty-one touchdowns, six interceptions. I guess you could you could make the argument that he possibly belonged in the Heisman conversation if it were not for the injury. And Quinn Ewers is also a guy who you could have argued belonged in the top tier of quarterbacks in this year's upcoming NFL draft. Although he did recently declare his intention to return to Texas in 2024. So, big news for Hookham and whatnot. But, that's pretty much my take on Quinn Ewers. But one of the things that I feel like not a lot of people have been talking about as much, aside from Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, the two dominant receivers for the Longhorns, are the, is the running game. And as hard as it was to lose a guy like Jonathan Brooks, The sort of leader of the pack in the backfield for the Longhorns who tore his ACL, I believe, in the TCU game back on November the 11th. They've also had several guys that have stepped up in C.J. Baxter, J. Don Blue, and Keelan Robinson. And I guess, I guess you could put uh, I believe his name is Savion Red or Savon Red in that same category as well at times. His statistics do not necessarily rival those of Baxter, Blue, and Robinson, but I guess in the Absence of Jonathan Brooks, Texas went to more of a running back by committee type approach, which has definitely paid dividends for them. So, as hard as it was to lose a guy like Brooks, the Longhorns have certainly had three guys that have filled in very nicely in Jonathan Brooks' absence. So, That is pretty much my take on some of the things that Texas has going for them into the Sugar Bowl. Okay, switching gears from that to what my predictions are. And I guess I'm going to stay with the Sugar Bowl in a game that I've, as I said few minutes ago i've just been turning and churning with over the last few weeks as to who i'm going to be picking in this game because very tough matchup to pick between two very very evenly matched football teams and i suppose i've got to i've got to go with my gut here I've got to go with my gut and pick the Texas Longhorns to win this football game. Because at the end of the day, I think it's all going to come down to physicality. And when you look at the defenses in particular of these two teams, because Both teams, I think it's fair to say, are going to put up a lot of points. I mean, we look look at just look at the tape, okay? Look at what Michael Penix can do with Polk and Adunze and McMillan and to some extent Dylan Johnson and look at what Texas can do with Ewers and Wire the and A.D. Mitchell, and the three-headed monster of a rushing attack that they have. Defensively, and this is the main reason why I'm making this prediction, defensively, Texas has an absolute monster of a front seven, and they absolutely have a beast of a nose tackle in Tabondre Sweat. He is, he is six foot four. We're talking about a behemoth, a gargantuan behemoth of a defensive lineman. This man is six foot four. He is 362 pounds of pure muscle. I mean, he just eats. He eats defensively. And I think he is going to have a very big presence in this football game going up against a Washington team that has not necessarily faced a defense like Texas up until this point. I guess you could, I suppose... You could argue Utah, you could put Utah in that category as well. The Utes obviously have a very good defensive presence, they always have, especially under Kyle Whittingham, who his pride and joy is the defensive side of the football, but just a guy like Tavondre Sweat just... He definitely stands out to me i mean and I mean gosh three hundred sixty two pounds can you imagine him just eating on Monday night and just opening up opening everything up for the pass rush for texas it's really it's really it's really going to be a remarkable sight to see. I do have to say on Monday night in New Orleans as they call it in the in the Superdome but for that reason in particular for the dominance that Texas has defensively I think that is going to pay dividends for them against Washington and in the Rose Bowl in the Rose Bowl, before between, excuse me, between Michigan and Alabama, this is a game that I think is going to start off a little bit slow, but this has certainly been been a trend with this team throughout the season. As the game goes on, I think that one of these teams is going to run away with it and get the win. And as much as it pains me to say it, the team that I'm referring to running away with the ball game is very clearly the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I mentioned the fact that Bama is peaking at the right time going into the college football playoff. You, you add that to the fact that Nick Saban, the mastermind that is Nick Saban, has, has now had a month roughly to prepare for the next game. That is a very, very dangerous combination. And again, you add that to a quarterback like Jalen Melro, who is red hot right now. I mean, Jalen Melro is playing out of his mind. Jalen Melro will probably be at the top of the list as far as Heisman Trophy candidates and contenders are concerned in 2024. So he's just he's just been playing phenomenally right now. But and obviously you have Nick Saban's defense and let me let me hone in on them a little bit more in particular and tie Michigan in with it as well because Michigan This is by far the toughest defense in Alabama that Michigan will have played. And Iowa, of course, they just got done playing Iowa in the Big 12, excuse me, the Big 10, the Big 10 championship game. But are you really going to put Iowa's defense on the same level as. Nick Sabins and Alabama's, I'm not. I'm obviously not going to do that. And when you have guys such as a, a Dallas Turner and a Chris Braswell coming off the edge, when you have a guy like a Kool-Aid McKinstry. I'm sorry, I just had to take a minute to... To laugh at the fact that that is probably the funniest name in college football this year, and really since he's been at Alabama probably, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Kool-Aid McKinstry, what a guy, and what a guy, and he is certainly one of the major reasons why I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and picking Alabama in this football game. And when you get... One of the things that I think you're going to see as, as the game unfolds is it's going to be probably very evenly matched in the first half. Maybe and it, for all we know it may it may not even take that long it may the signs of this may come at the very end of the first half and will inevitably take over in the second half but the physicality of alabama and both teams are very physical as i was alluding to before michigan very much prides itself on being a physical team up front, and they do have a very solid offensive line. But as we get further and further into the ball game, one of the things that I think we're going to see is Alabama sort of wiring on Michigan and sort of becoming the more dominant force up front as the... SEC athleticism because as we all know in the SEC it really does just mean more you're really going to start to see that athleticism pull away from Michigan and Alabama is just going to start wearing on them and dominating up front and when you compare that or I should say when you add that to the dominant threat that comes with a guy like Jalen Melrose, who can make you pay, as we've seen throughout the season at times, with his legs, and also as we've seen during the Auburn game, in particular, in the Iron Bowl, with his he can make you pay with his arm, as well and for those reasons, for those reasons, as much as it pains me to say and I do think this is going to be looked back on as a good football game, not not necessarily a, a great one if you I think but it's hard to not think back to, Michigan's semifinal game in the college football playoff last year against TCU. If you like, if you like offensive football, that was definitely the game for you. And I really hope that all of the betters did take the over in that game because, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there were over. A, there were over a hundred points scored in that football game. Are you kidding me? But it was just crazy to watch. But with even with that being said, the Michigan Wolverines did not come away with a win in that game against. TCU, and of course we all know what happened to TCU in the national championship game against Georgia. That's a conversation for another time. Hindsight being 2020 though, I think the basically the, the same exact thing is going to happen to Michigan in this one for different reasons. Because TCU, if you remember, was not the most physical team that was obviously present in the national championship game as they were just steamrolled by Georgia. That was a painful football game to watch. But the different reason I'm referring to here is just the overall physicality that Alabama brings to the table. And again, when you give a guy like Nick Saban, who nothing nothing more needs to be said about Nick Saban, when you give him a month to get his team ready to play, it is highly likely that Nick Saban is going to find a way to come away with a win. And so for those reasons in particular, I have got to give the nod to, as much as it pains me to say this, as much as it pains me to say this in a lot of ways, I've got to give the, I'm putting my bias aside on Alabama and I am predicting them to advance to the college football playoff national championship game. And so, with that, that is my official prediction of the college football playoff national championship game. It will be the fourth-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide taking on the third-ranked Texas Longhorns, which is a matchup that the college football playoff committee has no doubt been wanting to see again because mainly because mainly because of the because of the money involved in it. I mean let's just be honest. It's it's Alabama and Texas. Two two of the biggest fan bases in the country and the in the college football playoff national championship game and a rematch of a game in week two where Alabama was not necessarily at full strength and now they're at full strength and again the, the money I mean the money it's it's gonna be unbelievable. That that's that's frankly the reason why Florida State got left out of the college football playoff in my opinion, one of the reasons, because money is obviously what it all comes down to. I mean, <laughs> let's just be honest, people. Let's just be honest. But with that being said, sets up a very, in, in my opinion anyway, it sets up a very interesting and competitive a college football playoff national title game, which I will not be giving my prediction on today. I'm going to wait until later on, I guess next week before kickoff on January the 8th to make that prediction, my final prediction on the college football playoff title game, but the one thing that I am going to make a prediction on right now is we have got a incredible slate of semifinal matchups coming up on Monday, Bama and with Bama taking on Michigan and Texas taking on Washington. Two very incredible football games coming up. So get your popcorn ready, ladies and gentlemen. And with all of that being said, that is going to wrap it up for me today. I want to thank you all so much for watching and listening to this edition of the Jim Bratton podcast. I very much appreciate it, and I will see you guys next time.